I just want to say good afternoon, everybody. This is your boy, Isaac, man, a.k.a. the the finisher, the host of The Den. I want to thank everybody for attending this afternoon. I have a very special guest, um, author of Tried to Be Straight, Options for Gay Christian, Mr. Andy Wells. How you doing, Andy? Isaac, it's great to be here. I'm doing great. Look, I, I just need to let our audience know that, um, you know, we had a prior podcast that um, I totally muffed and didn't push the recording the last time we met. So this is like a second take. So I just want everybody to understand that we are imperfect, as perfect as we are. <laughs> Absolutely. So... Um, tell our tell our guests a little bit about the book. Try to be straight. Sure. Well, first off, Isaac, I I, I appreciate getting to have another uh, another conversation with you. So it's it, there's no bad news in that. Um, I uh, I wrote Try to Be Straight: Options for Gay Christians. The, the story goes like this. I I figured out that I was a I was a mess as a as a a youth. Um, my, my aunt told the story to me a couple of years ago that, uh, she, she always thought I was a troubled child, which actually was, was pretty freeing for me because it kind of let me know that, you know, I didn't turn out so bad for a troubled kid, <laughs> but, but I was a troubled child as a child. I was a little bit of a spaz as a teenager, uh, in my twenties, um, I'd be, became a born-again uh, conservative, fundamentalist, evangelical Christian. Uh, in my 30s, I got sober. In my 40s, I came out as a gay man. And in my 50s, I wrote a book about it. So that's basically tried to be straight options for gay Christians. Along the way, I got a master's degree in uh, a, a discipline called Christian apologetics, which is basically why, uh, why we're right. Uh, and okay. uh, uh, and that was from a very conservative uh, school, so I've I've got I've got a lot of education there, but that same school probably wouldn't have me back because they're not too they're not really big fans of of the gay folks. So uh, uh, so one night I'm at a I'm at a Christmas party, and I I met this woman who was talking about her kid, and talked about how her son came out when he was twelve, but at their non-accepting, non-affirming uh, Presbyterian church, he, which he really enjoyed, and he loved Jesus, and he loved the Bible. Okay. Um, and and I talked to her a lot about the theology behind that and, and where I had been and how I got there. On my way home, I realized two things. Number one, I have a lot of passion about that topic um, because I thought about what it was like to be that kid at coming out at 12, you know, I didn't come out until I was in my 40s, and it was scary then. Um, when I thought about what it must have been like to be that 12-year-old, I wept. And the second thing I realized was I had a lot to bring to the table as far as knowledge and, and um, thinking. So I thought with the combination of those two, I might have a book. So um, about two years later, I, I published the book, and it's it's been a fantastic voyage so far. You know, that's great. I, I was just sitting up and listening to you. And I know through that journey, you've had multiple relationships. Um, so what was it like for you when you realized that you were different, that, you know, that, in, you know, the different types of relationships that you were encountering, those relationships just wasn't what you needed to be in for yourself? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Feeling different. I felt different from my first couple weeks at in first grade. Okay. Um, because I, I, I showed up to elementary school with a pair of uh, eyeglasses on. And it was me and the teacher. We were the only two people with eyeglasses <laughs> really? in the classroom. And um, I remember the, the kids just busted out laughing. And uh, I had buck teeth. I, I, I had an overbite. And so I couldn't close my mouth without <laughs> teeth hanging out. I, I looked different. I was treated different because I looked different. I was a bit of a spaz. So, you know, that made me different. Um, I, I remember in my 20s. At some point, um, thinking, you know, for a straight guy, I sure do sleep with a lot of men. Uh, okay. I, I also, uh, you know, being in a religious faith that, that teaches that, that my sexual orientation is a choice and that, it, that to choose the side of the choice that I am apparently on uh, is a, a sin that would, you know, that would offend God and and uh, so I, I was, I was, I had a bunch of facades set up to try to shield the world from the real me. And all of these, all of this compartmentalization, there was a lot of tension between each compartment. So, and and the only the only time I really got a release from that was when I could head down. I was I was living in L.A. at the time. I'm thinking about my mid twenties, and and I'm living in L.A. and I would drive down to my to my gay friends who lived in Long Beach and I could be myself. I could smoke cigarettes in front of them. Um, I could drink as the way I like to drink. I could put my arm around the person I wanted to put my arm around. But everything else was a big, but a big, a lot of tension because I was trying to hide parts of myself from everybody. So that's really what it was like trying to figure myself out. I never wanted to admit, I never wanted to be a gay guy. Really? Um, and it wasn't until I got sober that it was really put to me that I needed to figure that out. Otherwise, I wasn't going to stay sober. You know, you're talking so that's about... that's really what happened. Yeah. Me face it. That's, that's... No, that's a, that's a tough road to, to travel a lot of times, especially when we're trying to hide who we are from the world. And we're not sure yeah. um, what we really want to be or who we want to be and how we're going to be accepted. But in that process, you talked about, you know, yeah, you know, drinking. Um, yeah. Was was your drinking part of the fact that you were trying to hide, cover up though all those um, emotional feelings that you hadn't gotten a grip to at that time? Well, you know, now I can tell you exactly why I drank. Um, at the time, I could tell you that I drank because it made me feel good. Okay. <laughs> And and uh, that need for feeling that way um, increased over the years. But uh, but now, yeah, I, I drank because um, ultimately I drank because I didn't like the guy I saw when I looked in the mirror. Ooh, that, that mirror is mean. <laughs> that mirror is mean. I've looked in the mirror many a day, you know, through my addiction. And and I remember times in the beginning of my addiction, I would look in the mirror, and that committee. I think we talked about this the last time. That committee would look you right in the, look you right in the face while you're looking in the mirror. And you know what it would tell you? It would tell you that you was okay. And unfortunately, I wasn't okay. That you were. 
So not okay. Yeah. Exactly. I I was not okay. So you know that that mirror can be mean because when you look in that mirror, the only person that is looking back at you is you. Yeah. So, well, I I didn't like myself. I didn't realize that I didn't like myself, but I didn't like myself. Um, I was six years sober before I realized how much I didn't like myself. <laughs> but uh, but the the other problem I had is I couldn't get close to people. So when you talked about relationships, I couldn't get close to people because. Anybody who would think that I was a really good guy, <laughs> in my mind, there was something wrong with them. You know, there was something wrong with them because they, they're they either deceived or they're lying to me or they're, they're a little dense. Um, I didn't like myself. I didn't see any reason why somebody else should like me. And so, again, I, I didn't realize this either. Exactly. So because you don't like yourself. You feel like nobody else should like you. However, they didn't see what you saw. So you're looking at them like, man, you really don't know who I am. But they're looking at something that yeah. you can't see. And that's and that's amazing when people can see something in you when you can't see something in yourself. And when you're in that monster, you know, of unsurety and addiction and trying to find yourself and being unhappy with, you, with who you are and just trying to figure out things out on life, on life terms... Those kind of situations happen. Yep. So so you talked about six years in when you really realized, you know, what was going on in your addiction. What was that like, though? Because you say it was well, six you know, years. Six years. It was six years into sobriety, yeah. Um, so I had joined a 12-step program, like many do. And uh, I, I did these uh, these steps. And then I got a, I got a phone call from, my, uh, from what turned out to be my current employer. And... They offered me a job in the Bay Area. I was living in San Diego, so I moved. And it was this, one of the scariest things I've ever done uh, was to pick up and, and leave a life I was very used to and very comfortable with um, and move to a city I'd never been to before and get a, get a place to live and new friends and um, new things to do. So I, uh, uh, I, so I, I, I started – the fear was – I mean, the fear, I could feel it like – I could feel it like a buzzing inside my chest. The fear was so intense. And I remember thinking, I know what solves this. What solves this is alcohol. Oh, boy. Because I drink the alcohol. Now, I don't want to drink the alcohol, okay? Um, I don't want to drink. But I also know from doing these 12 steps, the first step is we're powerless over alcohol. What that means to me is I don't get to choose whether I drink, right? So, so if I, if I acknowledge that and I got to say, okay, well, just because I don't want to drink now doesn't mean I'm not going to drink. So I better do something about this. So I called my sponsor and I said, Hey, I'm having an emotion. And so I want to find out about this thing called emotional sobriety. And he pointed me in a couple directions. And so I started learning. Now, what I learned about emotional sobriety was this. It has nothing to do with having an emotion. It turns out Having emotions is actually kind of human, so right. <laughs> don't get to like you know. But what emotional sobriety is, uh, I found it best defined as the way I feel about myself lines up with what I know about myself. So if I feel like if I feel like I'm a piece of crap, but I've done my good tenth step inventory, and I know. That I'm actually a pretty good guy, 
but why do I feel like such a piece of crap? Well, because I'm not emotionally sober. Mm. But if I know my my strengths, my weaknesses, you know, my pluses and my minuses, I, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I know the areas that I'm not perfect in, and I know the areas that I'm a contributor. Exactly. Um, then I can feel good about that. And so if I'm emotionally sober, uh, I can feel the way I ought to feel about the person that I have on paper in front of me. And that's, the that's I'd say, 90% today. I, I, get, I get to live that about 90%. I might be being a little generous to myself, but I get it a lot better than I used to, that's for sure. And that, that came around as, out of this incredible fear that I uh, experienced at, uh, at, at six years, which is when I moved. And that was when I, I came to the realization that, wow, you just don't like yourself, Andy. <laughs> wow. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> you know, when you talk about there being emotionally sober, you know, that can, that can go, you know, anybody can really apply that to you know their daily living because a, a lot of times what happens is knowing who you are and understanding who you are and liking who you are man th those things are, can be very difficult at times because you're just trying to figure it out as a whole especially in the process of you know trying to get sober and dealing with addiction and dealing with that committee and all those other things that come along with just trying to be a, the, the best person that you can be so, uh, you know, dealing with that and then trying to deal with the fact that, it, you know, this is what I, even, even in six years of you being sober, right, how was you dealing with the fact that the fear of you continuing to come out or allowing people to know who you are? What was that like? That's, that's a great question. Um, so when I got sober and, I, and the scariest thing I did was the fifth step because I had to sit across a table from a guy who was straight and he was, you know, middle-aged or older. I was 36 at the time. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 52 now. So, um, so it was a while ago, but, but I'm sitting across from this guy. He was not from my religion. He was not from my, he was about the same socioeconomic, uh, group. But he was a married, uh, married straight guy, okay. and I had to sit across from him and tell him all the things on my sex inventory. Exactly. And I was convinced after that, after telling him all the stuff that I hated about myself, I was convinced he would hate me too. Um, and and so, but but we got to that part, and he said, and this is where the title of my book came from, actually. At the end of my sex inventory, he looks across the table, and this is the first time we had had this conversation about me not being straight. And he, he said, Andy, you're not straight. And I said, well, no kidding. And he said, but I got to hand it to you, man. You tried really hard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You tried really hard, you know, because at the time, I mean, my background, my career had been in the fire service. Um, I, I, you know, I flew airplanes, I windsurfed, co competitive windsurfer. I had all these, you know, what you might call macho identities, hobbies, endeavors. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and all of them I did because I loved, and I still love them all, but um, 
but yeah, I tried really hard. I went to conversion therapy for a while. Okay. Uh, you know, it was like, you know, it did, obviously it didn't work. Um, but, uh, but so that was that part. So, so what he said, fifth step, you develop a, 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 a sex ideal. So the, the ideal, as I was developing it, he's like, look, you don't have to come out to anybody. It, your sexuality is your business. It's not their business unless you want to make it their business. So it, it just can't be a secret that you're trying to hide from the world, but you got to acknowledge it yourself. But for now, you don't have to come out. So then I got about five years sober, I got a new sponsor. And the new sponsor said, look, if it causes you pain, come out. Wow. So I, I operated that that way. And I actually, that's how I came out to my parents because my parents were visiting and they said, uh, yeah, that was my next question to the parents. How did that yeah. work? You know, my parents were taking me to a church in that in the seventies, in the seventies was performing gay wedding ceremonies. Um, it was a, a, an extremely liberal Episcopal church in Pasadena, California. Um, and yet when I came out to my dad, and I said, Dad, Mom and Dad, I, 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 I want to tell you something. And the reason I was telling them this was I felt like not telling them was lying. Right. And I wasn't willing to lie. Not today, I'm not willing to lie. I, I, just, I just won't lie. So Exactly. So I, I sat them down and I said, I love you. And I know you love me. And I want to tell you that I'm not interested in women. I'm interested in men. And I've known this for a long time, but... I want you to know that the reason I haven't told you has nothing to do with you. I know you love me, and I know this is not an issue, but I, I wasn't okay with myself, and that's what kept me from telling you. And so, and so I was able to take my, my coming out to my parents and, and use it as a vehicle for me telling them how much I love them. Um, my dad, incidentally, was like, you know, had you told me this a long time ago, this wouldn't have gone over as well <laughs> i'm quite sure <laughs> and I'm like, dad you've been I, you know my my dad has always prided himself in going to an accepting church and being in an accepting crowd he's a, a very accepting guy so i don't know exactly what he meant by that but i do know that you know i've i've i had a good mom she passed away a couple years ago um i have a good dad um and and so, yeah, coming out became that. And then, then the thing with the woman at the party, and then I'm writing a book. Then I'm realizing that unless I write under a, you know, a fake name, which I'm not really going to do, pretty soon the whole world's going to know that I'm gay. Exactly. Because I'm going to put this out on Amazon. <laughs> you know, and so I came out to Facebook. And then I had this thing last week, and you, this is about the time you and I were having our first conversation. I had this thing at, at, at work where... I thought I was going to go in and talk to a couple of vice presidents <laughs> at the diversity moment. You know? I remember that conversation. Yeah. I'm like, okay, 10 vice presidents. I can tell them where the company can do better in accepting, in, in accepting me as a gay man and, and uh, keep it first person because that's what the recovery programs have taught me. And, um, and it, instead, it, it turns out it's not the 10 people that are the senior leaders at the company. It's all the leaders at the company, and that is like well over a thousand people, because it's not a small company. Wow. And, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I, I almost, I sat back and I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? What? Why is it? Why does everyone else get to tell their story, and you don't get to tell your story, Andy? Is there something wrong with you? Do you not? Do, what do you think of yourself? And I thought, 
I'm scared to do this. I'm terrified. But I'm going to kind of ignore that I'm terrified and I'm going to act as if I'm not scared to death of this thing. Um, and I gave a two-minute talk on uh, my experience as a gay man at the company. And, and then I went into the importance of pronouns and respecting people's pronouns and, and why that's important to me and how I do it. Okay. Uh, again, kept it in the first person. So I wasn't lecturing people on what they ought to do. I was just telling them, this is my experience um, and here's what I do. And, and I learned that in, the, you know, in, the, in recovery. Um, it went over very well. I got a lot of messages from people around the company um, thanking me. And, uh, and I thought it was overall, I thought it was a great experience. And, you know, had it not been for the recovery that I got to go through, I, first of all, I wouldn't have ever been out to begin with. But then secondly, there was, there, I just, I was so far away from being able to do this. Um, it never would have crossed my mind. Wow. That's, that's amazing, man. Your story is, is incredible. I, I, you know, I'm so proud of you. And every time we talk, man, I just it's just a, a a breath of fresh air to just to understand and realize, man. You know, no matter what type of adversity that that goes on in our life or what up, what all the trials and tribulations that we go to, you know, we have the tenacity to overcome. Andy, it's always a pleasure talking with you, man. You, I'm just I can't wait to dig into the continue to dig into the book because I am so excited just to just to hear the rest of this story, man, because it is incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, our guest, Andy Wells, thank you for coming to the show. And we really, really appreciate you. Tell our guests how they can get in contact with you. Absolutely. Uh, so the, uh, my website is triedtobestraight.com. Uh, my uh, email is Andy at tried to be straight.com. And uh, if you're if, if you can't find any of that, just uh, Google Andy Wells and gay and uh, and I'll, I'll I'll be up at the top of the search uh, search results. <laughs> and how can they get how can they get a copy of your book? Uh, it's available on Amazon right now. You can also get it through any of the booksellers like Barnes and Noble. You can get it on Walmart.com. Uh, you can order through there, uh, and that'll go through a different distributor. But uh, the easiest, quickest way is Amazon. Um, if you don't like, uh, if if you like the other channels, it's it's available uh, there. It's it's on Kindle through Amazon. And okay. Shortly, it'll be on other eBooks, but uh, right now it's just on Kindle as far as eBooks go. Most definitely, most definitely. You know, after I finish reading this book, you know we're gonna have to do a part two because I'm most yeah. definitely get ready to sink my teeth and my eyes and in, into this book and just. And I'm always I'm already excited about, you know, just being able to read and, and, and understand, you know, your personal experiences. Once again, Andy, thank you for everything. Thank you for being so considerate and understanding and coming back on the show and, and just sharing your story again. I really appreciate it. Anytime and as often as necessary, Isaac, it's always a pleasure. Most definitely. Ladies and gentlemen. Our guest, Andy Wells. You could have been anywhere in the world today, but you decided to stop and hang out with your boy Isaac at the den. Andy, if nobody told you they love you today, I love you, champ.